HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. And today it's the young farmers out in California, myself and Wes Jones, who's in Ojai. I am in Northern California preparing for our land access symposium and dealing with a flurry of inquiries about a new film put out by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance that I'm giving a bit of free publicity to because it's so sinister. And uh, you can check it out, Farmland Films. Dot com. It's paid for by Monsanto, Dow Chemical, um, U.S. corn growers, and others who um, have joined together to do PR efforts um, to counter the shadow cast on American agriculturalists by films like Food, Inc. And um, I'm really interested to watch it. I think it'll be a sociologically fascinating um, film, although not really necessarily technically a documentary. Uh, anyway, that's what I'm all excited about today. And Wes, what are you excited about today? Today, I'm excited about water. Tell me why. Water. Well, recently, um, we're over here at Rancho del Pueblo in Ojai, California, um, farm of the people for the people, and that's connected to Farmer and the Cook Restaurant and about 12 or 13 days ago, our well busted due to the drought we're suffering from and just old well parts. So we've had to appeal to the county and use municipal water for the last 10 days or so, and we're getting the well repaired and excited about having water again. Oh, my gosh. Nothing like a broken well to make you get back to the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're practicing a lot of unintentional dry farming, and it's, it's actually working out for us. So let's get a little bit more detail into the operation that you're working on there and how it figures into the landscape of Ojai Valley. Well, we're here in um, Rancho del Pueblo, as I said earlier, and the unique, I guess, piece about our farm is it's connected to a restaurant market and CSA, 
that's called The Farmer and the Cook. Um, Steve Sprinkle is the head farmer and kind of field worker that runs the farm, and his wife, Olivia Chase, is the mastermind and brains behind all the recipes at the restaurant. And we basically run an open operation here in the fields, and we take volunteers Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and we just allow people from the community to get involved and see where the local food is coming from and get their hands in the dirt and just have some fun and kind of, you know, bust jokes all day. And then Steve Sprinkle takes everybody back to the restaurant. We eat a big lunch and just kind of hang out. So volunteerism is one of those funny things in agriculture where it's both a pathway into professionality and also sometimes a little bit of a um, stagnating pool uh, of non-economic opportunity, depending on your perspective and the privilege you walk in with and how you manage your life as a new entrant to farming. Can you talk about the role of volunteerism in your own farm trajectory and maybe your perspective? Yeah, um, it's definitely a unique situation being that it's more of a trade program than actually making money. I mean, in a sense, we're volunteering, but we're also getting taken care of with incredible vegetables, access to a very diverse community within the social network of the restaurant. And within that, if you're, you know, hungry enough, work opportunities. So although it's volunteer-based, it's basically a show of faith that you're willing to work and kind of get your hands in the dirt and maybe scrape scrape along for a little while before you can find a way to turn that into some money-making situation. Or in our case, we just work for room and board and we get a house and um, access to all the veggies we want. And within that, we're building a network of friends and family in this community and kind of reaping the benefits that isn't so much like making money and being able to buy new things, but we live a pretty simple, simple, happy life and can't complain. Right on. So many people start in this way um, by doing a wolf experience or a work trade uh, in order to learn skills and build skills that are then making you a more desirable candidate for paid work in agriculture. And often people find those jobs through wolf, USA um, or Wolf International and look up opportunities uh, on farms, especially for traveling. And I know that you guys did a bunch of traveling uh, in your exploration of the small farm scene. Did you use Wolf as an adventure tool or how did you, um, how did you approach that trip? What were you out to learn? Well, um, it would have been nice to actually use the Wolf as a tool for those adventures. We kind of just went on the shoestring, uh, faith, throw the stars in the air kind of approach. So we bought one-way tickets down to South America, and through meeting different people, found a, um ecological preserve in the cloud forest in Ecuador, which I worked on, which then led to meeting the South African that had the organic coffee farm. And that was our first real taste of hands-in-the-dirt, hard-labor farming, working alongside the campesinos and he wasn't listed on any wolfing thing, but we basically have just kind of gone the handshake and, um, yeah, that's been the route for us. We just do it on a handshake and have some fun and see where it goes. And there's not too much of a commitment. Um, I have heard that the wolfing is a great way to do it. And I encourage people that maybe don't have the network or the social skills to get out there and ask people, 
But for us, just kind of leading with vulnerability and having the eyes of a child has allowed us to find ourselves in some really unique and beautiful situations. Well, it's funny. I think you guys eat too much citrus down there. You're all dreamers. But I, um, I'm not too worried about you because I think you're going to land on your feet. Um, but where are you going to land? And tell me a little bit about what are your goals and um, thinking about the next couple of years and how your progress as a new farmer and new food processing person um, might might look. Well, I think for now, um, definitely had never really planned on doing farming as a profession. And after our brief six months of intensive every day in the fields work, uh, I could see it as a profession in the future. Um, Steve Sprinkle's really unique in the way that he sets us up through the non-traditional sense of teaching and learning. He wants you to get out there and swerve the lines, don't make straight crops, have fun with it be a little inconsistent here and there and learn from your own mistakes. So watching Steve work through all of this has given me hope just for the ability to grow our own food, maybe in a homestead operation or a small-scale farm, CSA type thing. But more than anything, just the ability to socialize and network and recognize opportunities and find your own skills that make you happy, that make you motivated to get out there and if that makes you a living, great. And if you can trade for it and you don't need too much money, then that's great too. But basically, he and Olivia are teaching us that it's more about supporting your community, having faith in the people that you work with, that you'll take care of each other, being as gracious and giving as you can all the time, and having hope for the future. I mean, there's always going to be stop signs in your path, so you might as well just take your time and roll on down the line and just you know, hope for the best. So I think out of this, we're just hoping to gain as much experience as possible and have the amazing skill of knowing how to lay out a farm, grow food, whether it be in row crops or permaculture things that we also get to dabble in. Right on. So so let's talk a little bit about this, the, the teaching methods. It sounds like um, you're really interested by your mentorship but from Steve. And I know there's a bunch of young farmers in the cluster of Ojai. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like being part of a learning community and um, or maybe a little bit more detail on this whole mix it up a little bit? Because yesterday I spent a bunch of time weeding onions, and, uh-huh. um, you know, half of them were done before the rain and then half of them were done after the rain. And we were just having long discussions about, you know, the micromanagement of, your seed bed and your uh, your planting bed, and really fascinated to be learning in better detail how to manage, especially like in between rains and with weird inconsistent spring where it's like really wet and then all of a sudden it dries out really fast and you just have to hustle so hard. And um, tell me more. So in relation to that, I think um, it brings up an interesting point that we've kind of been dealing with is within this operation with Steve, the best asset for Natana and I as farmhands and the main interns here is just to be able to flow with whatever's going and be really flexible. So kind of what you were explaining happened to us earlier with the little brain that we have had hit us. And of course we got behind on all the weeding. 
And I'm still mystified by the actual um, decision-making and, and what goes into choosing which crop we're going to weed and which one we'll just let go and try and race till harvest time. But we basically just take our cues from Steve and try and take notes and remember the best of our ability what is priority and what isn't. So if you have, for example, onions, it's super helpful to kill them while they're young. Get the, get the weeds out of there while they're young. Let the onions have a chance to grow up, and they're going to be in there for a long time. So you want to get that done out of the way, not think about it. And then maybe with your lettuces or something, hitting those early as well. Steve always tries to hit the point across that we need to kill the weeds when they're young. It's a little easier. And then, you know, that'll be a quick hitter, so you'll be able to harvest it earlier. Um, there's some other guys in the community as far as the young farmers go. Connor Jones is up in the east end of Ohio, and he has an incredible permaculture setup that we haven't been able to see yet, but he doesn't weed anything and goes with the more permaculture uh, aspect of farming and growing on a small scale in high density with big yield and um, doing animal compost and different just basic skills, not so much your row farming like we do, row and crops. And then Wiley Connell, who is Steve's kind of protege and was our um, predecessor before us that worked on the farm, is doing a similar thing and using more animal compost than I think he weeds a little less than Steve, but it just seems as far as what we've seen that it's up to the personal preference of the farmer and whether they want to see the unsightly massive weeds and deal with that during harvest or if they want to use all their time and labor to get those weeds out of the way as fast as possible and make your life easier at harvest time. Well, I think think it's definitely a matter of personal preference and... You know, I'd be interested to know more about water usage and, you know, versus like living mulches versus just weeds and competing for water and space. And then, in, in the, you know, especially in the drought situation, what are the benefits of not using extra water? So more, you know, more crop per drop versus the kind of benefits that weeds could create in more soil organic matter and more life in the soil, which, of course, increases your water-holding capacity. And so the, mm-hmm. there's the kind of traditional thinking or conventional thinking, which is more crop per drop, intensify, simplify the system, and, you know, maximize the efficiency of those factors that you're controlling, i.e., the planting distance, the drip tape, you know, uh, using plastic mulches, et cetera, and then versus this, like, crazy more crazy, sloppy tactic, which is um, to have your plants in more of a cra- in more of a weedy, weedy situation. And I don't know if anyone's doing experiments on that. And I think that would be a useful discipline to put ourselves through as we um, explore our preference, but also evaluate it um, how it meets our goals. Oh yeah, okay, and I mean. On. Okay, go ahead. I I shouldn't be so pushy and bossy, but I am going to say it anyway. No, please do. This is yours. (laughs) It's Um, it's yours to to direct. I'm all ears. So, so let's, so, okay, so we've been introduced a little bit of what the Ojai scene is like, um, but I still don't know what grows in that valley, and I would love to know um, why you chose to move there. Um, Well, the big thing here is citrus. We have the 
classic and famous Ojai Pixie, which is your tiny little orange sort of tangerine type citrus, which um, grows here year round. We're constantly have access to oranges, grapefruit, and lemons, I think 99% of the year. And then there's a lot of vegetable farms as well. And we were drawn here basically kind of by synchronicity, I guess. I got a job as a retail store employee at the Patagonia store, and Natana, my girlfriend, landed a job here at Farmer and the Cook, um, and we found that job through volunteering with Steve at the farm. And basically just found a community of like-minded spirits that really were into knowing where your food comes from. And at that time, this was about uh, almost two years ago now, we were just getting into the importance of organic and non-GMO and we're kind of, relatively speaking, new to that whole movement. And we really got interested in it two years ago and then found Steve in this farm and these farmers and saw that there was a lot of produce being grown out here from lettuce to beets and carrots to onions, chives, and what have you. Um, also big avocado orchards and fresh water, as well as hot springs and good opportunities for outdoor activities from mountain biking to rock climbing. So all that kind of rolled into one made the Ojai Valley a really appealing place for us to come settle. Well, and you're so close to L.A., and yet you're just over the mountain and far away. It's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like a fairy world. It is. We we call it the Ojai Vortex, and it's also a, a simple rule that seems to hold true here is six degrees of separation. Maybe everywhere else in the world you experience 12, but you get to Ojai and it gets down to about six. Oh, or even two, you know. So yeah. let's talk a little <laughs> bit about surfer culture and farmer culture, and I was going to talk to Wiley about it, but you need to jab him in the ribcage a little bit because he has all this wonderful surfer lingo, and I just I think we need to have more lingo influx into the farm scene, and that he might be a diasporatic um, interpreter of surf lingo for us. But, but the question for you is, you're you're participating in the Southern Patagonia scene and like surfer bum scene, and the farm yeah. scene. How do they overlap? What is the um, what's the vibe change, or what's compatible? Um, well, I think the unique thing, like we were even just discussing this today, um, Natana and myself were saying, what's one word that we could explain the farm with? And jokingly, she said, just getting barreled. And barreled, of course, in the terms of surfing is the idea of getting inside the tube of the wave, that little hollow part as the wave breaks. And I think out here, the surfer stoke that goes along with farming is it's kind of unreal. It almost seems just over the top. Bacoli like language at times, but these guys are full on living and breathing the entire culture. And our days are dictated by if there's surf. I mean, if there's waves in the morning, Steve will tell us to go surf and go enjoy the beach for a little bit and come back and hit the work in the afternoon. So I think having the surfer culture along with farming brings kind of a mellowness and a lack of panic the situation so that it's more you just kind of roll with what comes along and Wiley has a unique situation over there being that he's on Dan Malloy's property who is a pretty prolific professional surfer and has been around the world and seen and done amazing things and now he's switching to farming because his whole thing was that he doesn't feel like he's given enough back to the world or to his community or 
made an impression, which for me is funny to hear from someone so successful in a profession and a passion that they've chosen to do. So I think the surfing is just having a more grounding effect. I mean, it makes farming available to some of the mainstream kids that maybe would never see any farming or any idea of where their food's coming from. Now you're seeing it in Patagonia ambassador videos and it's even making a leap into the rock climbing and um, adventure out sports or outdoor sports deals. So yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, Wiley would be your, uh, your main head on the language. He, he speaks <laughs> a whole different one. Okay. Give him a pinch for me. And I, you know, for me, this is thrilling because I always see, I mean, I go down on wall street when we were occupy wall street marching, we would go down to wall street and see all these, you know, tall, strong men, ambitious and full of piss. And I just think, wow, we really could use you guys out, you know, in fun world. And I, same thing. I see the rock climbers and the runners and, all these dudes with all this gear, and I'm like, wow, look at all this ego. We could really use you on the reform agenda. And, yeah. in fact, it's happening. They're, they climb the mountain, and they're like, that's not hard enough. Now I'm going to climb another mountain. It's called Startup Organic Farming. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I'm really happy. Yeah, it seems, uh, it seems they've just taken that passion and applying it to farming, which is fun to see. Right, with all of the muscles that also come. And also the calm. I like your point about the calm. I think that's a very important point because sometimes you get wrapped up in stress of how much always you are overmaxed, this time of year especially, overmaxed on what really should be done in a 12-hour period but would take more like 24 hours to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so approaching, you know, getting a little bit more spiritual about your time management and how you um, hold those emotions of panic or, or kind of release the hold would be um, some useful practice, I think, even beyond Southern California. Yeah, it's, it's important to have your fun factor high. You know, you've got to keep your fun factor and work factor balanced out. <laughs> um, easier said than done in a cold, growing yeah. climate. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I like it. I'm thrilled. So we talked a little bit about the water. We talked a little bit about the surf. Um, we talked about the awesome farmer and the cook. What did we not? What did we not talk about that was important to you? Um, I think one of the biggest things that we're really excited about being here is the chance to meet the wandering traveler and um, kind of the newbie that hasn't had a too, I guess. Um, full experience with farming or haven't been able to access farms, Steve really encourages us to go for the greenhorn that has never tried weeding a row before or hasn't seen a carrot growing in the ground or doesn't know what a kohlrabi is. So for us, it's exciting that we have this unique opportunity in that we're in a two-bedroom house, just the two of us, and we have an extra room and we get to invite anyone that we think would vibe well with the calm and the mellowness of the farm and also our hard work ethic. So just bringing in new people is really fun. Everyone from L.A. to New York to Vermont to Montana, from the vagabond dirtbag rock climber to the bicycle tourist, we just get to see so many walks of life, and it keeps us constantly guessing and uh, learning a lot of stuff all the time. So that's probably one of the 
things I'm most excited about for the summer is just recruiting more people and telling them to come out here and give it a go. And if this doesn't work, you know, provide them with connections to the next thing and just keep it up. Awesome. So, Vagabonds, beware. Um, there's one more to do. And, uh, yes. I, you know, I was one of those little vagabonds, although I wasn't totally a vagabond. I was, um, I had a mission, and I was yep. interviewing um, elders. This was back when I was, like, 19 years old or 20, 20, 20 years old, 22. And I've, I wandered through there and met Steve, and he said, what you're doing, young woman, is called journalism. Why don't you go down to the radio shack and get a tape recorder? And um, Steve actually really started me on uh, this whole journey of grassroots media. So it's amazing what happens when you're hospitable in that way and generous with the future. And from a, in a Southern California style, I think you've tumbled into a nice little nest um, that's hatching out some cool, empowered people very... Um, in a very, uh, what's it called, non-pretentious way. Yeah. So yeah, it's really it's I, fun. <laughs> it's really fun. Okay, it's a lot so, of fun. So I want to make one, a couple of announcements uh, in the radio world, and you can think about it if you have any announcements, and you can go next. Uh, the first one is, again, our big symposium is coming up. It is really big, and then there's going to be podcasts. And we have Joel Salatin, we have Elizabeth Henderson, Kathy Roof, Reggie Knox, Gary Nobhan, Wes Jackson, Anurada Mittal. Um, and I've just been working on the next symposium for the East Coast with uh, amazing thinkers, not only from this country, but from other countries as well, all on the issue of land reform, land transfer, land access. How does this farmland and the way that we have tenure on it affect? our democracy, our economic resilience, our economic diversity, our capacity as humans to act as citizens and have some um, self, self-determination in the way that we pursue our goals for survival on this big, nice planet that we love. And that will continue to be promoted until, until I have no voice left. <laughs> um, also on May, uh, on May 4th, Sorry, on May 3rd, we have a negotiation training in New York in the Cary Center for Global Good, which is in Rensselaerville, New York, right near Albany. It's a free workshop all day learning how to negotiate a lease agreement, uh, a loan, your relationship with a landlord, your relationship with your parents when they freak out about your farming, how to negotiate your way out of volunteerism and into a paid job, and that goes for you too, Wes, and how to... Um, frame your communications in a positive way so that you don't burn anybody out, including yourself. So that is all available on the Agrarian Trust website for your perusal. Please join the mailing list there so that you hear about the podcast. Okay, you get the last word, Wes. Anything else on your Um, nose? Yeah, I think the last thing I would say is if anyone wants to come out and experience a little farming with no commitment and a lot of fun and social gathering, check out farmerandthecook.com. You can get connected through there to come check us out on the farm at Rancho del Pueblo. And otherwise, contact your local farmer or find somewhere in your area and go out there and give it a try and get your hands dirty. It's what it's all about. 
I like this. This is the low stakes, high fun approach. I should <laughs> I, I I should take a note. This is fun times again from Greenhorns Radio. Keep in touch. Tell us how it goes. And uh talk to you next week. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.